Friday down south. In a moment, I'll be joined by Eric Fawcett at GatorCountry.com. We will talk about a golden beginning to the Todd Golden Era, Florida's dominant win over Stony Brook on Monday night in its Zach Tech Arena at the Stephen C. O'Connell Center. Uh, get into the many, many people who played. Anything that surprised us about those rotations, about playing time. Um, not going to get too deep into the Florida offense because Stony Brook played zone for 40 minutes, which I think surprised everyone in the world. Uh, but given that they were shorthanded, I guess that makes some sense. We will also dive deep into Florida's next two opponents, Kennesaw State out of the Atlantic Sun Conference and Florida Atlantic out of Conference USA, coached by our buddy, Dusty May, who uh, did some great things at Florida in the Mike White era. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. And uh, thank you all for listening. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. And Eric, the golden era is underway. Uh, a golden beginning, if you will, for the Gators who uh, really dominate Stony Brook um, from start to finish. Obviously, Stony Brook a little shorthanded, but still a very convincing opening night win for Florida. Yeah, I, I felt bad for Stony Brook. I, I think that they have some, so you know, some pretty good players and and could be, uh, you know, not a favorite in their league, but someone who could, you know, be maybe in the upper upper third. But but yeah, some really bad injury luck. We we talked about it on our on our space, but yeah, uh, I, I had known that 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 Sabri Phillip, a, a guy from my neck of the woods in, in Edmonton, um, who's. Uh, not a super skilled player, but like a near high major athlete at six four. I'm like, okay, that's someone that they're going to need to like compete athletically with the Gators. And he was battling stress fractures in his shin um, all all year, and uh, just finally got back for them to have a scrimmage. And then he tore his Achilles, so he was out for the year. Of course, um, uh, that that was a, a huge hit to them. Um, their point guard, I thought he was going to be a really good player. I didn't know that he was going to be out. So like he's out and then just like looking at everyone else, like I, it, they unfortunately were walking into, into a slaughter, but Hey, I think that that's exactly what, uh, what the doctor ordered for the Gators for us to get to see a nice, no drama kind of start to the, to the golden era. I think it was, it's just wild. If you look at the, the Ken Palm win probability, it's just a straight red line on the bottom of the chart because there was uh there was never, never even a, a, a glimpse of hope with that, with that kind of uh, what was it? I don't know, 20, 22 to three or whatever that run was, was for the Gators. But uh, it's, it was, it was a nice, nice relaxing start to the game where we can just uh, uh, point out a lot of positives and, uh, and, and look forward to what's next. Yeah, I mean, start the golden era up 11 nothing. Uh you think they were up 17 3, 22 to 6. So mm. I mean, that's that's uh that's really good stuff regardless of what where the opponent kind of is. I did want to tie I I wanted to mention their injuries like at the very very top because, you know, I'm not trying to to uh wet blanket the uh the victory or anything, but I do think people need to know that like I think Stony Brook is a pretty good team in the Colonial, and this wasn't really what they're going to be, even with some of these season-ending, a couple of the season-ending injuries, I think. You know, even a kid like Jared Fry, their freshman, who I was really impressed with, even though he hit only like three shots, um, I thought his game was nice. Like, he could kind of create space and stuff better than I thought he would be. You could see why their coaches liked him, but apparently, like, he was playing with, like, a broken toe. (laughs) So, I mean, they had all kinds of, of issues. As for the Gators, 
not so many issues. Uh, and I think a lot of it for Florida started, you know, kind of on the offensive end. And there were a couple of players in the first half whose offensive games, you know, I think probably pleased everybody. And for me, they were CJ Filter, uh, who I thought dropped off in the second half. We'll get to that. And then Alex Fudge, uh, who looked really comfortable shooting from the perimeter. And, uh, even though I think some of his drives and I'm interested on your thoughts on this, Eric, like I thought some of his basket attacks were maybe not the wisest decisions, um, down the line, like certainly worth doing against Stony Brook. Yeah. I mean, he looked like an NBA player, um, against, you know, a, a low major team. Uh, not that he's an NBA player tomorrow, mind you, but, uh, the fact that you can see why he is an NBA prospect, I should say that he looks like an NBA prospect against a low major team, just seeing the length and athleticism, like a couple of his shots were just like catch the ball in somewhere near the paint. And he just kind of like looked one way, looked the other, uh, and realized that he was going to be taller and more athletic and just like rose up and hit a little floater over top of everyone. And, and again, there was a few of those shots or, or, and drives that I think you're describing that, you know, are those going to be the best way to try to beat Tennessee? Uh, no. So there's definitely a little, I, and Hey, we're not, like you said, not trying to, not trying to wet blanket a, a very good performance from, from a very good player that we're very happy ended up as a Gator after we really wanted him out of high school. Um, but uh, you can you can definitely see some of that um, so, some of that burst where like uh, this is a discussion we're going to have to have at some point of the podcast. I, I might just just bring bring it in now. I know because it's going to tie in Fudge, it's going to tie in Felder, and it's going to tie in a couple other players here too. But um, the, the starting lineup with with uh, with Will Richard in that wasn't a big surprise. I think a lot of people expected Fudge. It ended up being Felder. I really liked how that starting lineup looked together, and I know that a lot. Of of people are going to say like wow look at fudge's game he was awesome should he start in in favor of of cj felder going to the bench and like again not trying to take away anything from from alex fudge's game but like when he was on the floor he took a ton of shots he had the ball in his hands a lot he was kind of the the, the driver i just i i think that that role was perfect i think what the gators did was perfect I, I really liked how that starting lineup played without fudge and i really liked fudge kind of bringing in the energy and, and bringing that kind of slightly erratic style of play that was really, really effective. And uh, I guess that's something I want to throw to you. What did you think of the starting lineup decision and then tie out Fudge into it? Do you see him as someone you want to see starting on Friday or do you kind of like that style of play that you were talking about? Do you like that more off the bench? Yeah. I mean, I love the idea of bringing in, I liked it the way it was. I also thought just, and it's not a knock on Alex Fudge, NBA prospect defense. Like we know that he can defend. He took a beautiful charge. Uh, I think it was in the second half where, you know, you could tell that's something that LSU had really emphasized last year. And, and he had that game experience and stepped right up into a, a nice drive off a closeout where Florida had kind of blown a closeout and fudge bails him out with a beautiful uh, charge that he took. So it's not just his length is I guess the point I want to make there, right? Like, He's doing things that are good on the defensive end, but I just thought that starting five was tenacious defensively. Um, you know, I thought that had a lot to do with Florida getting up 11, nothing on a team that even with all the injuries shoots the ball really well. Um, and CJ Felder so good defensively. I loved how active he was on the glass. And I mentioned his offense. Cause I thought both the twos he made were exactly what I want from him offensively. Right. Like take, smart two point shots near the rim that you can make. Like it's not, you know, 
yes, we know that that if CJ's open on the perimeter, he can knock down a three at a pretty high clip. Uh, but just kind of taking what the game gives to him and finding ways to influence the game as sort of the glue guy, I think is a beautiful role for for a CJ Felder. There, there really are some shades of like will you get just like physically style of play wise and and very much with that like glue guy kind of <coughs> situation. Um, again, I'm not suggesting that he is, you know, will you get God to your glue guy, which is what will you get was. But I, I, I again, it's it's pretty clear with that starting lineup that you want Castleton to be the guy with the ball. Kwesi Reeves, who we'll talk about later, certainly um, is someone who's going to be relied on to score. And Kyle Lofton's going to be the guy to initiate offense. And I just think like to surround that with. Uh, someone who I think is best as a, as a knockdown kind of stand-up shooter or straight line drive in Will Richard, who was excellent, or and then someone like CJ Felder, who's going to move the ball quickly and then dive and try to crash the offensive glass. I I, I really like the kind of makeup of that starting group, and I love the makeup of of, of Fudge off the bench. So uh, I'll be really interested to see the way that um, that Golden and his staff kind of see it. And and uh, I mean, they obviously started this group, which was. Um, I think a little bit of a surprise, like a lot of people saw it, wanted fudge and then to see fudge play. Well, I think there's a lot of people calling that'll be calling for fudge. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's one of those things that like when you see that Felder was successful in his role, the starting lineup was successful in its role and fudge came off the bench and was successful in his role. It's like my rush is not to say like, oh, this guy was awesome off the bench. Let's get him in the starting lineup. It was like, hey, he was successful in the role they put him in. So like, let's keep him in that role. And uh, uh, so that'll be, of course, be a conversation for honestly a couple of, of weeks now. Um, is just going to be general lineups, general rotations. I mean, if they go and start the same group on Friday, it's going to be less of a conversation of starting and then getting into uh, more of um, getting into more of uh, just general rotations and, and, and feel there. But uh, yeah, I would uh, definitely, uh, definitely a great start for, for fudge. And it's great to see Felder healthy. Yeah, no, really good. Uh, Florida did play 11 guys um, with nine minutes or more. Uh, something that I think Malik tweeted out, um, you know, so definitely playing 10 or 11, Todd Golden referenced it in his post-game comments and said, you know, that's our plan. Like <laughs> we kind of planned on playing 11 guys. And if somebody's going to pout about that, we'll play 10, um, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I thought that that that's kind of probably the right attitude for the staff to have. I mean, it wasn't like anybody hogged minutes, um, you know, Colin Castleton led the team with 26 minutes and they, that only happened really because they put him back in at the end of the game, I guess, uh, you know, Jatobo needed a blow <laughs> from some extended run in the second half. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really interesting. Well, I want to do, I want to, I want to talk about two things offensively, Eric. The first was, and we can get to Stony Brook deciding basically because of injuries to play zone. Um, all we want. I mean, we can get into that, but one thing that impressed me was the fact that yes, Stony Brook played zone, but you know, Florida played really crisp and efficient offense in the first half without shooting the ball. Well, right. Like they were three for 15 from deep in the first half. And it really didn't matter because they crashed the glass and they got high efficiency uh, type twos at the basket. Yeah, I, I said on our Twitter space that we did um, before this game um, for the, you know, those of you that were in it, well, I will have heard this, but I, you know, just how excited we are to see how, what Florida runs offensively uh, coming off 
a couple of years where we didn't love where they, what they ran offensively. And I expected, I expected Stony Brook to play some zone. I was not expecting them to play 40 minutes of zone. So unfortunately, like there will not be the article coming out from me about Florida's offense, at least man to man. Um, but I really did like their, their two, three offense. It was, it was simple and effective. Um, they ran like, what is my favorite concept against the two, three zone where, um, if you imagine two corners filled, two guards, and then Colin Castleton in the high post, uh, when the ball goes from one guard to another, Colin Castleton sets a flare screen for the other guard and then just flashes to the middle of the zone. It's like the wheel route in football. It's just, it's, it's always open because that player has to get over top of that flare <laughs> to get back to the yeah. other guard. And uh, so just like you put a big in the middle of that zone, you flare it and then you flash. It is just always there brilliant two, three offense. That's so simple. And they just were getting the ball into the middle of the floor all the time. And then, uh, as you said, they've got a lot of length and athleticism, so they were all over the glass. So I, it wasn't like they needed to, to reinvent the wheel and, and, um, Hey, maybe you don't want to, uh, give away your best two, three offense. And like, well, I mean, you, they just saw like they needed to run anything else. They ran simple stuff. They moved the ball. Kyle Lofton was just the top, just absolutely whipping that thing side to side, like no desire to dribble the ball. He just wanted to to pivot. So that, I think everyone loved to see that kind of like true point guard kind of a, a mindset from him. It was uh, honestly, like there was a lot that was very like Andrew Nemhard asked just in the, his kind of approach and the way he was zipping that thing around. So, uh, yeah, no problems at all with how they attack the two three zone. And like, if anyone is is kind of like wondering what offense is going to look like, while we were not obviously able to see what they were doing, what they would do against a man setting, which in the SEC there's just so much man defense, not a lot of zone. Um, while you didn't see anything that Florida's going to run, you can also look to see like, well, they were simple, they were efficient, and it was effective. I think you can at least say, well, you look at those things, and you probably think that whenever they play man man defense, which could be Friday against Kennesaw State, um, we'll we'll get to see some good. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, um, also Kyle Lofton, 22 minutes. That was uh, the lowest number of minutes he's played in a game <laughs> since his sophomore season at St. Bonaventure. So uh, just some fun fun with numbers there. He had a 21-minute game as a sophomore <laughs> at St. Bonaventure. Uh, last year, his low is 26 minutes. Um, so he was four minutes below that even. Uh, so I'm sure that Kyle enjoyed like the time on the bench and Seven points, two assists, no turnovers in his first game. Florida had 10 turnovers. Stony Brook only scored two points off of them. Um, and this gets back to like a conversation that Eric and I have had at least a couple times on, on our five years of this show, which is that there are different types of turnovers in college basketball. And like Eric and I were always kind of of the mind that like a Kavarius Hayes or Keontae Johnson trying to make like a tough pass or Andrew Nimhard trying to make a tough pass. And that being the turnover is a more productive turnover than, you know, the one bad turnover that I thought Florida had the other night, which actually led to the Stony Brook basket where, you know, you throw the ball away from your own basket and it's intercepted. Um, you know, just kind of kicking back to the perimeter without really thinking. And I think Florida avoided that. Uh, five of their 10 turnovers were dead ball turnovers. The other four came in the paint where Florida was able to get back in transition. They get 19 points off Stony Brook turnovers. Um, for some perspective, Florida had 19 points off turnovers twice all season last year. So uh, that's kind of a, a nice change too, Eric. 
That's also a good time to point out, you know, we're let's talk golden era analytics. It's it's it was a pretty high possession game for the Gators, so their actual turnover percentage was was really really good. Um, not that even ten turnovers on its own is is an awful number, but you even factor into how fast the Gators played, and uh, which wasn't super fast, but pretty pretty up tempo game and or high number of possessions, I should say. And uh, yeah, I think their turnover percentage was like fifteen percent, which is which is really good. And if they do that all season, then um, that that'll work <laughs> so uh i hadn't had no problem with that at all and i think when you when you look at the fact that the gators um have a few more guys that with that are comfortable with the ball in their hands um and i i guess we should also wait and see a little bit and uh, against and see what happens against uh against again man defense because they weren't playing a, a particularly disruptive two three zone and uh they were able to pick things apart by passing and not having to put the ball on the floor too much. I think that you look at Florida's turnover problems of, of recent years. And I think a lot of it, of course, well, people who listen to the show for five years, which is a crazy number to that. I didn't realize until you said it there, Neil, five years of the show. Um, just like that offensively things were getting stuck with the Gators and I put them or this, the goal of their offense were were these, these drives into single gaps where they're just high, high variance plays where guys were, going pretty recklessly towards the rim or having to force the end of the clock. And uh, that's what turned into the turnover is not, I don't think it was a bunch of foolish plays by, by ball handlers or bad decisions. So um, again, I, I think that um, not having turnovers is the product of, of good offense. Um, while I also want to give credit to these players for, for playing smart. It's like, again, they, they ran simple, effective offense. So it's like, yeah, there's, there was no real situations to turn it over. And, and I'm with you, Neil. I, I I think a lot of the turnovers were not bad ones and they were able to set their defense. It wasn't like they got a guard to guard pass picked off for, for a layup at the other end. So um, all well on that kind of side of things. Yeah. Just two guard to guard turnovers. Uh, the one I mentioned being, I think the worst one, which was, um, you know, you never want a guard to guard turnover generally, but you certainly don't want one where you're moving the basketball away from your own rim. Um, and that's where offense goes to die. And uh, I think, you know, given that Florida probably did not prepare for 40 minutes of zone, also yet another thing to factor in, lots of possessions, a low turnover percentage, and 40 minutes of zone where, yeah, I mean, I think Florida obviously has practiced kind of a simplified approach to the zone, and they went out and executed it, which, you know, Todd Golden said after the game, I was really – pleased with our mindset and kind of our ability to execute what we had prepared because, you know, when we did, uh, when we did see uh, the zone, you know, we adjusted after one media timeout and then did a really good job of getting the ball in the middle of the zone and then, you know, working to get uh, attacking the basket in the high post. And I thought Florida did an outstanding job of that. I, I do hope Kennesaw state plays some man so that we get to see what this offense looks like. But, uh, you know, pretty good altogether. Um, some other performances I thought we should probably talk about. You know, you kind of mentioned Will Richard in passing. Um, you know, just thought really, really good from him on the defensive end. Now, obviously, this is more of a brand of competition that he's accustomed to. So we'll see what happens um, as it gets tougher. And then uh, I thought some quality minutes from Riley Kugel, even if they didn't necessarily show up that way in the statute. Oh yeah, just looking at Riley Kugel play, it, 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 you can just see he's dripping with potential. Like just kind of the way that he showed some burst on his on his first step, which um, 
uh, always didn't always lead to anything. Um, but you can just kind of see the, the way that he carries himself and, and the way that he has those physical abilities and not just physical abilities, but he's got like, he's got the handle, he's got the technique, like he just needs to uh, get adjusted to this level. And, and I think he's going to be really good and, and adds to a kind of crowded shooting guard wing kind of group. And um, of course he also got to play a little bit of point guard for a little stretch there. Um, of course, playing against, against zone, um, the kind of need for a true kind of point guard is, is a little, little bit less, um, but they did put him up there and, and, and had him be kind of the, 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 the pivot point for it, for that offense. Um, so I thought he was really good, very excited for him. And I think a lot of the reports of that, he's going to kind of push for, for big minutes. It's, it's, it's easy to see when you see him. And uh, again, like we kind of talked about, like NBA talent still wins at college basketball, as much as people love, you know, love talking about veterans and point guards and, and all that. It's like, you know, the highest level of the game is still won by future NBA players. And um, I think that Riley Kugel could, could very well be that. So uh, when we get into the, the SEC kind of portion of the schedule, uh, I think he's going to need to be a, an important player. So hopefully he can keep getting these, these kind of good productive shifts and, uh, uh, and kind of continues to, to show why he could be an NBA player. So thought thought he was really good. Um, see even two with the jump shot ability um took some pretty deep ones hit one of them but uh yeah he's just going to be an electric player he's one of those guys that even in the first game every time we touch the ball i kind of was waiting for something crazy to happen and uh we know at some point he's going to put one on someone's head he's super athletic um he's just like, angry when he goes to the rim so uh yeah he's he's an exciting player and and uh could end up being like like again it was like a big deal when he committed to the gators but not as big of a deal as I think people people realized at the time because we're not really used to like good players being available that late in the cycle. And in recent years, the Gators have taken players that late and it's usually been a little bit of a flyer. And it's like, no, this is like a player on NBA radars. So, um, hey, shout out to Corey McRae, who I assume helped make that one happen when, when he moved yeah. over because uh, that's a very special player. And, and I think your notes on on Richard were, were great. He um, He's used to that style of competition and his length and, and athleticism kind of over that level um, was really notable. I, 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 I'm really looking forward to see how he kind of handles himself against higher level athletes and, and competition. And I, I do think he'll be really good. And he's such a kind of savvy player, doesn't go outside of his bounds. And uh, but, you know, is he is he always going to be a, a scorer like he was? Um, I think we'll see nights where where he is because he's going to take wide open layups when they come and straight line drives when they're really smart times to take it. And we, and uh, as he showed, he can knock down an open jump shot, but um, yeah, he's still a, a, a fascinating player with a very wide, wide range of, of outcomes for the season. I think. Yeah. He was two of two on his catch and shoot threes, um, which I think pleases Todd Golden very much. Uh, every single three that Florida took in the second half was catch and shoot Eric. Mm. Um, so they shot seven to 10 on those. Uh, after going three of 15 and not taking all catch and shoots in the first half. Gee, I, I wonder if there's anything to that. I guess we'll <laughs> find out. Um, yeah. So, you know, anything that necessarily surprised you in terms of rotations or that you want to monitor as, as Florida kind of moves forward here? Oh, Niles Lane, um, for sure. I mean, I know that we were going to have to get, get to that at some point. Um, he had, you know, I think nine minutes, uh, he was, he was behind Myron Jones, behind Will Richard, behind Riley Kugel. Um, you know, you could add in Trey Bonham behind him in, 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 in minutes. I know again, a little bit, uh, different, different roles, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a player that, that we thought could start and maybe should start in that 
could be in that mix um, to see him not get called off the bench for, for a while was, uh, was, was certainly interesting. And the, the one thing for me is even looking at how his nine minutes went is just like, like his style of game is, is never going to look the best against Stony Brook. Like he doesn't have the flash to just like take advantage of a low major team and put up a bunch of points or do something that looks great. But as we saw with last season, when the Gators start playing SEC teams and they need athleticism and perimeter defense and, and physicality, that's where his game kind of shines. So it's, it's one of those things that I, I think that that has hurt Lane in, in, in his kind of time at Florida is that when you start your season with buy games, that's kind of the opportunity for players to, to earn their role in, in a lot of ways, kind of entering conference season. And there's certain players that are going to look good, overwhelming low major teams. And there's certain players that need to be playing high levels of competition to show their worth. And Niles Lane is not a guy that when the Gators went out against low major opponents in the last two years, that he was flashy and knocking down jump shots and crossing guys over. And there were some of those guys that were doing that for the Gators. And then when it got to conference play, they were not very effective. And we ultimately, and then we saw when the Gators were playing, you know, games where they needed physicality on the perimeter, that's where Niles Lane kind of played his best basketball. So I do have a little bit of a, I don't want to say fear. I mean, I, I'll, I'll sure we'll use fear for now. I have a fear that that's going to be the case once again, where it's like, you, you're going to watch his nine minutes against Sony Brook and you'll say like, ah, that's, you know, fine. He only played nine minutes and he was fine. Um, and that, that might mean he plays nine minutes again Friday, but I just, you know, as we saw last year, truly think when the Gators play some of these SEC opponents that Lane is going to be a guy that, that needs to factor in. And uh, will it take through midway conference play? Like, like could we could we have the same script where it's the last five games of the season and suddenly Niles Lane is playing 25 minutes a game and we're like, oh man, he should have played a lot more earlier? Maybe, but uh, yeah, it's it's a, a, a unfortunate start, I'll say for him. Tough start. Yeah, I thought it was kind of surprising and, and I guess surprising for two reasons um, that really have nothing to do with him being really loved by analytics, right? Like I think the first one was eye test and reports from scrimmages uh, and then even on the the November 1st scrimmage where, you know, he guarded Kwesi Reeves and by all accounts, you know, Wasey had a, a tough one, um, you know, and, and Wasey even said like, you know, I feel like I get so much better with Niles guarding me because I don't know who in the SEC is that good on the ball other than him. And, you know, and and I'm pretty sure that that was a genuine comment from Wasey, not just something that he's blowing smoke to the media about. Uh, so when Lane plays really well in the open scrimmage, the November 1st scrimmage, and then in other scrimmages, you know, he's guarding – uh, Kowasi Reeves, he's not guarding Will Richard and Richard goes nuts, right? But Wasey's kind of quiet. Uh, I think there's a reason for that. So I guess that would be, you know, thing number one. And then I think thing number two is um, just, just from a more like eye test standpoint, I was a little surprised that, for example, like Myron Jones is given 15 and a half minutes when he's not really – a plus player defensively. He's just sort of a, an average figure defensively. I know he had three assists. I'm not convinced still that he's a better passer than Niles Lane though. I mean, I thought Niles best moments were actually moving the basketball against the zone when he was in. Um, and then, so that, that surprises me a little bit like that disparity, because I think there's certain things that Lane does and offers this team that, that are better than what Myron offers when Myron's 
over two with an air ball, right? Like out of the gate. So um, that's kind of my thought on it. Um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess some people listen and be like, well, Neil's going to stand for his guy. And to some extent I am like, absolutely. But that's where I can come back to analytics and be like, look, this is a top 20 defender in the country. And, you know, at some point Florida's going to need him, like you say, uh, on the floor because he can guard the Kowasi Reeves players and look really good doing it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting that you mentioned the the Myron Jones minutes. I I mean, man, it was I don't really have a lot to say on Jones that we haven't already said, but discouraging to see him. I would say almost two air balls because the first one, I I don't know if it caught rim, but it looks like he might have caught just the backboard and then that the other iron. one, that guy, yeah, and then yeah. and then uh, then the true air ball, like just shots that left his hand and didn't look good from the moment they did, and um. That's, of course, a little bit of the Myron Jones experience. Um, I tried to prepare people for it last year by pointing out what happened at Penn State. He, is, <laughs> he runs hot and he runs cold. And when he runs hot, he runs really hot. And when he runs really cold or cold, he runs really cold. So that's the player that I think we talked about as someone who could be like a nine-minute player um, kind of moving forward, or not moving forward, by the end of the season. Because he's someone that, honestly, I think his minutes should read like nine minutes or like 20 minutes, but not many 15 minutes. Because I think you kind of get him in the game, you get him lathered up and see if he's see if his shots are falling that day. And if not, um, like you said, good to see the assists. I still don't think he's kind of a plus. I don't think he's a plus ball handler. I don't think he's an average ball handler, playmaker. Um, defender, at the SEC level, I'll say average at best. Um because he's he is smart and in the right positions he's just not athletic and, and not large so that'll be interesting to see um and i i wonder too like it's one of those things where if, if florida's not knocking down shots then i think that the desire to play him and see what happens is, is going to be higher but if other guys are shooting well then you can kind of afford to put in a niles lane a little bit more for for defense so that'll be something interesting to see um speaking of three-point shots um it's always funny. I mean, we're, you know, getting to minute 30 of the podcast. I haven't said Colin Castleton's name really. Um, he was awesome. <laughs> um, exactly what we expected. Um, there'll be plenty of times to talk about his, his greatness, but he just played a, a good solid game. Didn't force anything. He looked like a, like a veteran. I was scared to see him grab a shoulder at one point. Didn't, didn't like that. Yeah. One um, but, uh, <laughs> I thought it was so funny when he took that, that first three and I didn't think it was, you know, particularly close to going in. I just knew that Jake Winderman, I mean, shout out to Jake and, his props that are already, you know, dominoes are starting to fall and some of our predictions are, yeah. are terrible. Um, but, uh, you know, we really appreciated, really appreciated Jake doing that. Um, and I saw him giving alternative lines to people asking for them on Twitter. I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. I'm glad people love, love the, the Wendy's winter sports book and, and, and loved his hosting. Um, but, uh, Jake sent off a tweet like right when that shot missed. And I was like, I, I, I knew Jake had Jake probably had four or five iterations of that tweet in the draft ready to fire one off the first time that <laughs> the Castleton took and, and missed a three. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on Castleton or, you know, the one three he took, but uh, he was, he was excellent. Well, I mean, he was fantastic. He had four block shots, um, you know, in addition to all the other stuff he does. Uh all I'll say about Castleton's three is it was amazing that Alex Klatsky's like didn't hit anything. Like it was so pure. It like went through the net. Like it was just like one of those that had the beautiful arc. I don't think that the, the net moved. It didn't hit the rim buckets baby for St. Peter's Peacock recruiting <laughs> target, Alex Klatsky. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. Of course, 
uh, big prop implications with our Jake's Wendy's winter sports book um, lines for, for a number of reasons, you know, everyone was chanting the, the, you know, we want Klatsky. Of course I was like, kind of oh, rolled yeah. my eyes at that. I, I get, <laughs> I, I, I'd be interested what his thoughts are. Actually, that's a guy that we should have on the podcast sometime as a, as a yeah. long-standing member of, of, of the Gators. But uh, so I'd be interested in what, what his kind of thoughts are on it. But like, again, I felt like it kind of proved my point when he, or our point when he gets in the game. And like you said, just like nails a three as perfectly as, as possible. That wasn't like <laughs> one of those, like there's 20 seconds walk up and no one's guarding and the walk on gets to just heave one up. It was like, no, we're still playing basketball and Klatsky made a basketball play and was effective. So um, yeah, I don't know. Like to me, that should definitely put to bed the the we want Klatsky chance and the screaming for him to shoot every time he touches the ball chance. Well, actually, well now that he made one, people are going to scream for him yeah. more. So that, gonna that's actually not going to help. <laughs> it's going to get worse. You're right. Um, but uh, great for him. Great for Jack. May. I also love to let's talk Jack May where uh, he comes in the yeah. game and he gets thrown into the middle of the zone too. It wasn't like like normally again you see the walk on like hey go to the corner and let the let the bench guys kind of run things. But it was like when Jack May came in the game and they're still playing against the zone and they threw him in the high post. I thought that was hilarious. I thought that was, I, I thought it was great. I should say hilarious. And of course he got a bucket and that was awesome. So good to see everyone be able to kind of get in the game. I think for fans too, like there's a lot of casual, you know, I'll say casual basketball fans in the Gator space. There's a lot of people who love football and will kind of tune into a little bit of basketball and football's done. So I had, a couple of friends, you know, texting me like, Hey, who's this guy? What's fudge? Um, who's this? Like, just like still learning a whole lot of, of, of the new players for the Gators. So for there to be the home opener, first game of the season and everyone to get in the game, I think that will at least help with some of the casual fans that um, tuned in to like put some, some names to faces to, to see everyone. So I thought that was great. And um, you know, it took us a long time to talk about Castleton uh, player that, it's also kind of funny that it took us this long to talk about, but uh, you know, it's big player. Player we're a big fan of uh, on the podcast is Quasi Reeves. I thought he looked pretty good. I didn't think he played totally up his potential, but I thought there was flashes of stuff that was really good to see, such as a play where he pump faked, drove down the lane, took a whole bunch of contact, and and finished yeah. strong. I thought again, he we talked about this after the scrimmage, but or or the uh, but he just like looks noticeably bigger than yeah. than what we saw last year so and and of course he knocked down the opening bucket of the year so um yeah i i, I think again like was it wasn't uh he didn't play up to his potential fully, but he also showed flashes to his game and effectiveness to his game, driving, taking contact that we, we kind of knew he had in his game, but um, he wasn't able to show. And uh, Oh man, that Jacob Redner article at 24 seven about what he was going through was excellent. And Jacob is just doing incredible work right now. Um, one of the best in the game right now for Gators on the show by- next week. Oh, Jacob I didn't know. I didn't even know yeah. that. So perfect transition. Just drop that, drop that to the to the listeners and Eric Fawcett, apparently. Yeah, well, it's good that I <laughs> if you're listening, Jacob, know that I was complimenting you before I knew you were coming on the show. <laughs> uh, but he, he yeah, his his piece with with Kwesi was was excellent, kind of talking about how Kwesi was scared of making mistakes and for that reason just like was doing the absolute least um just kind of doing the things he knew he wasn't gonna you know couldn't screw up and um he, he was a lot more confident so i thought kwasi reeves um while not jumping off the page for this game's performance also had a couple things that has me very excited for his season yeah two or three on uh catch and shoots um i'm just gonna keep doing maybe that this will be my thing this year uh 
<laughs> just, I'd like it. Just, <laughs> two or three on catch and shoots, including the season's first basket. I love the lettuce too. The hearts mm. um, were nice. You know, I mean, if you're going to bury our over-unders before the season starts, like we're going to make your hair a pretty consistent piece of the podcast. And like, I, I like what he's doing right now. Um, and I loved, like you said, just attack a closeout, attack the basket, young man. Like you are super, super duper long and um, you do look stronger and you're like six, six. And, you know, I mean, just like, let's draw defenders and take contact and get to the free throw line. Cause they're going to need Wacy to do that um, in the, in, as the competition stiffens here. Uh, moving forward, uh, you mentioned Jack May. I was thrilled for him. I think Will Richard said that was his favorite moment of, of opening night was the Jack May bucket. <laughs> um, you know, Jack May probably hasn't been that close to the basket in a live game since he played at St. Andrews. Uh, playing a little 4-5 in Class 3A, State state of Florida high school ball, you know. Uh, it's a great, great little program, St. Andrews, uh, a couple state championships down there. One with, with Jack May, in fact, but yeah, definitely getting stuck in the middle of the zone and, and, you know, just powering his own rebound back up. I mean, that's beautiful stuff. So, um, you know, great to see him score. And, and I think a feel good night, uh, last comment I was going to make was just the viewing on TV was so much better with the, with the cameras on the rowdies. Like, oh my gosh, was that so much more enjoyable? Oh man, it was just like, in what is the least surprising news in Florida basketball history, yes, having the camera facing the Rowdies was a way better experience. Um, And and again, I I know some people, and I'm not looking to talk about this, but I know some people were tweeting that, uh, like, I don't know if it was a sellout. I don't think it was, and because a lot of people were tweeting that there was a lot of empty seats. so again, I, I don't know exactly what the, the vibe was in the building, but it was amazing on TV watching watching the Rowdies and, and seeing their energy. So there's there's going to be times where there are some games that are, yeah, not going to be full against low major opponents that it's going to be awesome to have the Rowdies. And then when they play Kentucky at home, it's going to be awesome because of the Rowdies. So um, thank you to all them who you know do their tireless effort to make Florida basketball games a awesome experience. They are like both a visual elements of the game and also like almost the soundtrack to the game in a lot of ways. Like if you were to take out a lot of the stuff that they chant or a lot of stuff they say after various plays, like, I don't know, like I I think a lot of us would have like a a visceral reaction be like, wait, wasn't there something supposed to happen? Because it's just like so ingrained into the experience of a home Florida basketball game. So we're very thankful for them. I'm very glad that they're going to get to be on TV. And I I'm anticipating there being, um, kind of like similar to how like Auburn in the last couple of years, there being a lot of people that are like, oh man, like Auburn actually has like an awesome home court and like the student section's awesome and, and all that because they're starting to get more visible for them. It was because the team was getting a lot better. Um, but I think there's going to be people who like always knew that the Rowdies were really good, but they're going to see it on TV now. And I bet we're going to see some like national media being like, wow, like that student section of Florida, like kind of like what we saw. Uh, in 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 the later 2000s, uh, I, I think we'll see the, see some of that again. So uh, definitely a much better product. I think that was money very well spent to move the camera. Yeah, definitely money very well spent. And great point on the Rowdies getting that exposure. Remember when ESPN did that players of only poll uh, three seasons ago now, I think. It was the year before the COVID year. So that might be four years now. But, you know, the best student section was the Rowdies. They edged out Gonzaga and the Kennel. 
in the player only pool. So it was kind of like players knew, you know, and it was like, if you know, you know, like type deal. But uh, now everybody will get to see it again, which I think is just really, really fantastic news. Um, and it made the viewing experience so much better. Uh, and that was just one game. 7,937 was the attendance. So about 3,000 short of a sellout. That's all that that upper level uh, area uh, pretty much was, was empty. Um, you can't really tell on TV, even with the cameras facing the other way. But what was good was you didn't see the empty seats in like the, the buffet zone. <laughs> that was just so rough and kind of embarrassing. Uh, late in the in the Mike White era. Florida has Kennesaw State next, Eric. Um, and look, uh, I want nothing against the Colonial, which I normally wouldn't say this. Like, I wouldn't normally say the Colonial is not as good a league as the Atlantic Sun. And I don't know if this necessarily has anything to do with Kennesaw State and Stony Brook, like vis-a-vis one another, right? But the Atlantic sun is pretty good, man. Like Liberty's in that league. Jacksonville's in that league. Jacksonville's, I think pretty dang good. Jacksonville state is in that league. Bellarmine just ruined Kenny Payne's debut at Louisville last night. Uh, they were picked to finish seventh in that league. Um, so, you know, Florida Gulf coast is in that league. Uh, UNF, we all love Matt Driscoll. They're in that league. Um, so, Lots of pretty quality teams. Stetson, by the way, who was picked by the media to finish 13th out of 14 teams, the Atlantic Sun. Um, they became the first team to win a non-conference, first non-conference, non-ACC opponent to win at the Tuck in three seasons. Just went out there and epitome of brutality in Florida State on opening night. So point being, Kennesaw State picked to finish fifth in the Atlantic Sun. Uh, not a bad basketball team visiting Friday. Well, and Florida Gulf Coast just went to USC on the road and beat them by 12 or 13. So that's another uh, another game that they stole. So uh, That's a tough that, one that for actually, Andy Infield. <laughs> that, that, that is a tough one. Um, I, uh, one of my friends who uh, I think a lot of people probably follow on Twitter, Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated, his podcast, they do a bit that I find hilarious. Um, I'm like probably in the like top percentile of finding this funny, but, um, you know how, like in the transfer portal, everyone says every, whenever there's a transfer from like a mid-major conference to high major, everyone's like, Oh, good get. That's a good get. Like, um, so they, they started a segment on their show where it's called bad gets where they talk about mid-major transfer or not always mid-major transfers, but any transfer that they think is like not good or like not a good fit at their next league. And just like the concept of bad gets, I find so funny. And one of the other things that I've like, I've always joked with them that I want him to do it. I mean, I joke, I want it. I, I'm serious about it, but like, it's, it's funny. And I think honestly, you and me have probably been guilty of this is this like, whenever you talk about a mid-major or low-major league, people are always like, oh, and you know, that's an underrated league. And people say it all the time about like every league. And it's like one of those things where like, no, not every league is underrated. There's, there are some that are not very good. I mean, I made my thoughts about the Ohio Valley Conference known in a podcast a couple ago. And I think like what, like what you said, you know, Colonial, not what it once was. We'll see what it gets gets back to with a bunch of new teams they're bringing in. But yeah, the A-Sun, um, really good conference. And uh, this Kennesaw State team is really interesting to me because they haven't had a lot of success recently. And I, I, I'd be really interested in, in the story of why, but they bring back a player named Chris Youngblood, who I really thought was going to be someone who was going to go to another level. Like I thought he was just like a prime transfer portal product or 
to that that could go somewhere to a bigger league because he's like six four, he's athletic and he can shoot the ball really well. He was a forty one percent three point shooter. So to see him come back and to see their point guard Terrell Burden, who is probably a good fit at that level because he is a senior, but he's been there for a long time and. He's only five foot ten, which is the one reason why I think, and he doesn't shoot the ball very well, which is the reason that I think he's probably at his perfect level. But like, it's it's so rare to see it, it, these days with the transfer portal a team that's returning a good backcourt. So like, to one have a good backcourt and two to like return them from the same team, like that continuity is going to be pretty big, and especially early in the season, that continuity is going to be. Um, it's it's going to be definitely a weapon and uh so that's a player that like i kind of like i don't think he's like a florida caliber guy necessarily we'll see but i kind of like joked in an off-season article that like chris youngblood is is, is someone that could be recruited the handshake line but yeah so he's a, he's a player that i think is 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 really good i i i do kid not sure he's a he's a florida guy but uh level kind of but i think he's probably better than an atlantic sun yeah six foot four athletic can shoot 41 percent from three um little surprise he came back to kennesaw state but he's a player that i'm watching out for on friday so i i like their head coach amir abdur rahim and i think like if you look at um i think like Bart Torvik probably backs me up on why I like him. And then, uh, you know, just the progress of like wins and losses, bottom line of the business. Uh, I mean, he takes over a program that's just, he like Mac, a Mac McMahon situation. He had one scholarship player when he arrived, they went one in 29, his first season. He was actually hired um, over Darius Nichols and Al Pinkins, who were the other finalists for that job. Uh, which is pretty interesting to me. And they went one and 29 his first year. And he just kind of kept his nose to the grindstone. And they have improved every year since, including last year when they flirted with 500. But Bart Turvick numbers said they should have been better than they were. I mean, they averaged 1.1 points per possession last year. That's pretty darn good uh, for a team that, you know, had not been over a point per possession in five seasons, Eric. So like they were getting a lot better uh, just from an analytic standpoint as well. Uh, by the way, Abdur, Ab, I don't know if anybody's even wondering this, but Amir Abdur Rahim is in fact related to Sharif Abdur Rahim, the former NBA All-Star and Atlanta Hawk. Uh, so, you know, among other teams, but I think most people at least – in our neck of the woods down here in the South, remember Surrey from his, his days as like the lone all-star on like terrible Hawks teams. Um, but so, so I like that about him. You mentioned Terrell Burden, who I think is a good player. He was first team all Atlantic sun in the preseason. Um, they return all five starters from their squad. Uh, well, they, they returned five players who started last year. Let's put it that way. Uh, Cause Glenn Robinson, the second started some games and, and he, Yes, that Glenn Robinson, um, and he is gone. Uh, so still, they have five players that started last season that are back. Um, and I think the main thing is this is just going to be a big step up for Florida, I think, um, defensively, because they are somewhat difficult to guard. I mentioned their points per game number. I also think that their uh, big man, Desmond Robinson, is – uh, a pretty darn good player, um, especially on the offensive glass. And he's quick and physical. So, you know, yeah, Colin Castleton can handle him and he's a better Colin Castleton is a better basketball player, but a nice little challenge for Colin ahead of the FSU game, I think. 
Yeah, that's going to be the one issue for Kennesaw State is they are pretty small in the front court. Robinson is their one kind of good option, and he's very different physically than Castleton. He's like 6'8", like 250 pounds. Like you said, he's yeah. pretty quick, but he's definitely that like more below the rim, physical, like uh, brute force kind of big. So that'll be kind of an interesting Isaiah matchup. Stokes. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we all wish Isaiah Stokes could have turned into um, – uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, hadn't, hadn't thought about him in a while, but, uh, yeah, I think that'll be kind of the issue. And, and again, that's one of the things too, going back to Stony Brook is Brook is dating their point guard and probably could arguably the best player. Um, and now you're playing a team that has a really good point guard and, uh, really just a really good backcourt generally. So I think that this will be a chance for the Gators to <clears throat> test their, test their defense a little bit more. And I thought their defense was, was good against Stony Brook for sure. Um, oh man, this is, yeah, we, we could have talked about their pick and roll coverage for another 15 minutes, but we've, we've moved past that, but that conversation will come on the podcast, but that was really good. But now they'll get to kind of try that out against, against a lot better guards. And um, I think that's kind of what you're looking for a little bit more from, uh, from these kind of early season games. It's like, yeah, you obviously want to, just win by 40 and, and, and help your computer numbers and, and, and game the net a little bit. But yeah, you also want to see, see who's uh, check your rotation, see how your defenses are kind of working and, and, and start to build some kind of, some kind of chemistry there. And um, while Stony Brook was great by all accounts, um, I don't know if the Gators had the opportunity to get better in that game. Whereas I think they could have a big win against Kennesaw state um, and, and still like get better and, uh, and gel a little bit more as a team. So, um, hopefully another successful night incoming. Yeah, I hope so. Um, the one thing I will say, and, and, you know, I've kind of hyped up their offensive end and that is purposeful. Like you don't really want to talk too much about the Owls defense. Uh, I think it's interesting. Florida's about to play Owls back to back. I'm, I want Denver parlor. To, I actually should email Denver and be like, is this the first time that Florida has played Owls back-to-back? Please assign whoever your assistant is to this because you don't need to waste your time on it. But, um, yeah, uh, they are not a good defensive basketball team uh, or weren't last year. Um, Amir Abdul-Rahim said, I hit the portal. I mean, this is a direct quote from him. We hit the portal pretty hard because we were terrible defensively. The numbers are what they are. Look at the analytics, man. It was bad. (laughs) uh so they're going to be a work in progress on that end and florida's going to outscore them but i do think there'll be a nice test for florida's offense um or florida's defense yeah it could be for sure now i'm googling different owl games because i'm trying to think how i'm trying to think how many teams first of all are called the owls i'm looking at like when they last played temple in 2007 uh but but anyways, this is you, you've now got now now I'm kind of doing this uh, work because I'm, I'm I'm interested as well, but uh, I, I think that that's that's just in and being able to play a team that has a kind of veteran backcourts going to going to be big and um, I think that that also can kind of transition into uh, the game that's coming up next that we wanted to talk about a little bit and that's Florida playing against Florida Atlantic that's coming up because Florida Atlantic is is a very very good offensive team as well um, that also has very good backcourt with, with senior point guards. So um, I, I think we've talked about it many times. Every time we've kind of hinted at Florida Atlantic, a team that Bart Torvik and Ken Palm both has a, have as a top 100 team. I think Dusty May really has got things going down there. Um, what are you expecting in that game? I, I think it's going to be the toughest of Florida's first four games there. I just said it out loud, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause I, I watched, or I didn't watch it live because Florida was playing, but I just watched a replay of Stetson in Florida State, and I got to tell you, 
that the no Baba Miller, no Jalen Ganey FSU is, it's a mess. Um, and so, you know, I think this is going to be, this is going to be a tough one. Florida Atlantic blew out uh, D2 opponent Lynn College in their opener. They have a very fascinating game to me tomorrow night, Eric, at Ole Miss. Um, where I think we're going to learn a lot about just how good uh, FAU is because, you know, Ole Miss was not great in their season opener. Um, They did manage to win, but not great. I think uh, Florida Atlantic has a bona fide Conference USA Player of the Year candidate in Elijah Martin. Um, He didn't play great against Len, believe it or not. He had four turnovers and kind of forced things a little bit, but I think that'll all stabilize itself. I love the way that John L. Davis can score. And then, you know, Dusty has integrated like his ability to recruit pretty well, which there means he's landed a lot of three-star players. Um, And he's kind of merging these three-star players with portal, you know, salt and pepper. And to bring in a high four-star like Jalen Gaffney, who was a Florida recruit. um, And Jalen looked much more comfortable, believe it, at that level, uh, at least in their season opener. And, um, had a great, a great game in one of their secret scrimmages, I was told. So, um, just some, some better players. And I think the biggest thing for Dusty is, can he max them out defensively? Cause if he does that, then this is a team that was picked third in conference USA, uh, and the top two teams in that league, UAB and Western Kentucky are quite good. It's funny to see, well, not funny. It's, it's smart, but it's interesting to see that, uh, how Florida assistants, um, that have went on to head jobs have, have either taken players like Osayo Sifo and o- Omar Payne who um, played at Florida, or if they have taken players that Florida has recruited such as Jalen Gaffney or uh, um, Darius Nichols, who has uh, obviously like in one of the like great, interesting transfer portal moves of the summer, got Brian Antoine, who is just, if we would have said it, you know, a couple of years ago in Florida was recruiting him out of, out of high school, that Brian Antoine was going to end up at Radford. You would, uh, yeah, you would you'd be very very confused, um, but uh, yeah, these uh, these Florida assistants have kind of used their their knowledge and and guys that that they've recruited now that they're uh, lower levels to get some players that I think are really good for their their leagues. Like every single one of these kind of former Florida targets has have kind of walked into the leagues that that these Florida assistants are now at and, and been some of the better players. And um, you you added Jalen Gaffney next to Michael Forrest, just like as steady point guard as it comes, responsible player. And and I think adding something that you hinted at in our Twitter space as well, that like Dusty Mesa, very good offensive mind. And when Florida was last good offensively really in the Mike White era was, was when Dusty May was, was there and you can draw a bit, a little bit of a line to when Dusty, uh, Dusty May left and Florida's offense started to, to get not as good. So he's a really good offensive mind. They're really fun to watch like Florida Atlantic. They, they play an aesthetically pleasing style of basketball. Um, they will throw the ball into the post and then run a bunch of off ball actions for shooters. They, they, they play pretty fast. It's, it's going to be an enjoyable game. And just like when you see, uh, a, a mid-major team and that like I think they're 86th on Torvik and 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 90 something on uh on Ken Palm like that is just like the exact range for for possible uh kind of upsets and one of those things that like upsets like that happen all the time where you're like wow what an upset and then you look and it's like well they actually were like you know 90th in Ken Palm something like that so definitely a game the Gators need to be uh need to be serious about and um I've been wondering ever since Dusty Bay went to Florida Atlantic when the Gators would finally be able to play Dusty and and, and Florida Atlantic so I think that I don't know how much like May had been 
chopping at the bit to go play play the Gators, but uh, I think he's got to be excited for this one. So uh, I'm I'm expecting them to give a really good effort. Yeah, I think it'll be good. And you know, a two and one. Um, I know Florida's going to go down to Boca, play at FAU Arena. So I think that'll be uh, as long as that deal is still in place. I should say, um, mm. you know, this again, this is a scheduling product of the Mike White regime, but um, yeah, it, it's exciting. You know, and when I look at this matchup, I think definitely, a, a, you know, as Eric and I have have kind of beat the drum on this is a dangerous game. Um, the one thing I think Florida has a big advantage in is is you know inside. I think this is this is this will be an interesting game to see if Florida goes too big a lot, right? Like if it's a lot, a healthy dose of Felder and Castleton, or if even if you want to get Jason Chitobo out there with with another one of the bigs. I think Alex Fudge, Niles Lane. Again, um, a couple of mismatch type problems for Florida Atlantic, who's going to play four guards, right? They're going to play four around one. They don't really have a power forward on their roster. Um, you know, and I think some of that is, uh, you know, because that's the way that Dusty wants to play. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for them is, you know, can Florida deal with the quickness and the problems that FAU's guards can create on the perimeter and then take advantage of FAU's size issues on the interior. It'll be interesting to see how the Gators attack Florida Atlantic defensively. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a math game too because Florida Atlantic's always going to shoot a lot of threes and we know the Gators are are as well. And it's one of those things that if Florida does have a cold shooting game and Florida Atlantic knocks down a bunch of shots, things could get, get pretty interesting. And uh, uh, I think like you said that the fact that they don't really have it, it's a kind of a funny look with with Florida Atlantic where they have like a Vladislav Golden like a seven foot one big but then they don't really have like then whoever they play at the four is going to be like six five and 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 a shooter it, it makes for some kind of interesting lineup so I am very interested to see um how the Gators if they try to go bully ball and, and play a little bigger or or if they match up a little bit more and say like oh now we can comfortably play a Will Richard at the four and and suddenly we really like how our offense looks uh, that'll be fun. And again, these are these are the games where you can experiment with those, those things and find out. Not that you want to experiment too much in a game that could be sneaky, really difficult. Um, but uh, it's it's going to be a different looking team than than who uh, the the first two kind of opponents the Gators have played. Yeah, and I I you know the only other thing I'll say about this game real quick before we kind of sign off here is that I, I do think to some extent, like I wish that these games were flip flop schedule wise. Like I would have loved to have Florida Atlantic in the building on a Friday night before a football game. Um, because I think there is a scenario where Florida needs the crowd a little bit. Um, and, you know, you can never count on that necessarily on a Monday night uh, in Gainesville, but I'm glad that Florida has this game. You know, I, it was the game that I picked on the schedule show is like the game Florida will be really glad they had on their schedule on selection Sunday. I think it's going to be, a quad two game for Florida, assuming that Dusty doesn't have any injuries. And, you know, Dusty has been a longtime friend of the show. And, and um, you know, we certainly wish him the best with what I think is his best team in Boca Raton, but not next Monday night. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been a good dude. He still stays in touch and, and kind of knows what's going on with, with Florida basketball. And uh, um, again, I think his contributions to the team were, were awesome while he was here. He's someone that I don't even think that, like we we could have talked about a lot more, honestly, how much losing him was was really a hit to the team for sure. So um, 
yeah, we wish them all the all the success. And uh, after after this game, for for sure. And uh, I think they play Ole Miss this weekend, so uh, that'll be kind of their lead up. Yeah, fr- Friday so, night. Yep. So we'll see a little bit more about uh, and and like man, you want to talk about a scary game for Florida? I mean, that's going to be an even scarier one for uh, Ole Miss team, who's you know still trying to find themselves in year whatever of, of, of Kermit. So that's going to be an interesting game. <laughs> um Darius Nichols there they they take on uh Notre Dame tonight with Radford so uh that'll be one if you want to keep track of the uh, the former Florida assistants but uh um yeah that's that's about our I, I I actually don't know the Jacksonville schedule so I'm definitely missing a shout out to but uh, not, not that we're making this a regular part of the show to talk about all former Florida assistants and uh and how they're doing but just early in the season I'm always very interested to, to check in on how they're doing um so yeah get, get brief shout outs to them but uh yeah shout out to, to Jake again for, for all his uh, work on the prop show because uh, the props are already starting to fall, uh, which is making us remember that show. So we thank you to Jake. We, we shout, shout him out, shout out his, his friend Reese, who I love. And uh, I uh, also want to shout out Malik um, who did a great job. I thought with you doing the, doing the schedule show. Um, I was uh, on, on my, on my way to go play prolific prep with the prep. I coach at to go get, get our teeth kicked in. Um, Actually, it was only by tw- we only lost by twenty. It was a good outcome, but yeah, y'all, um, I really, y'all played pretty well, man. We we <laughs> we hung in there, but I, I I love Malik. I'm really happy that he's a part of the show now. So uh, me too. People people have seen his contributions on Twitter, which is awesome. It gives us a presence of someone that can be at games physically and ask questions in the post game. Um, and he's excellent on Twitter as well. So um, I'm gonna probably continue to to thank Malik uh, many, many times on the show. But uh, I, I thought I thought you guys were were excellent together, and I look forward to having him on on the show this year. Yeah, no, Malik is awesome, um, and that was a fun show that I'd wanted to do for a couple of years. I know that you and I had talked about doing it, so it was good to get Malik in there. And and as always, my man came super prepared and and had some uh, takes that made me think. Um, so always good to have him. Ju is playing. Uh, I mentioned on the last pod, on the schedule pod, I think, or it might've been a couple pods ago that like, you know, Justin Vinci is afraid of no one. And like his poor team is just, you know, they do have a couple kind of soft games right now uh, at home, a couple by games. So they have like Voorhees college or something like that, that I didn't even know was a thing um, this weekend uh, as they get like a little three game stretch where they should win games before they go play UAB. And what'll be a, a really interesting basketball game. Um, so that's what they did. And yeah, good luck to, to Darius Nichols tonight. Notre Dame opens its season against Radford. Um, and you know, Mike Bray, man, he can talk to, to Marquette about how tough it, it looks like it's going to be to play Radford this year because that game was 40 minutes, uh, up and down and Marquette was able to salt it away with some free throws at the end, but Radford was right there with Marquette, um, who was in the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, the other night. So hopefully the Highlanders are improving um, after kind of an up and down year one under Darius Nichols a season ago. So that's our show. And I will let Eric sign us off. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.